I'm Stephen Grocott, Managing Director and CEO of Queensland Pacific Metals. QPM is developing the Tech Project, that's the Townsville Energy Chemicals Hub Project, to process a nickel laterite ore directly through to the high purity nickel and cobalt sulfate, which goes directly into the lithium ion battery supply chain. Right, nickel. It's uh, so it had a good, good. Well, kind of interesting year last year but in terms of pricing. It seems to be uh, on the up. Um, but you're doing this in in Oz. Um, when did this project start, and you know how did you pick it up? Uh, project started well. The company started about four years ago. The project in itself really started about two and a half years ago. Uh, we've had a, a long-standing relationship with nickel uh, uh, suppliers, miners in New Caledonia and uh, we plan to import ore from them into the port of Townsville and uh, process them at a, a very nice location just south of, south of the port of Townsville. Right, so you're taking the risk, the mining risk out of this um, and being the kind of process, the kind of downstream component. Um, why have you chosen to do this? Um, and you know, how did you manage to pick up these uh, supply in the first place? Well, the now shut down Queensland Nickel Refinery had imported ore from New Caledonia for a couple of decades and one of our founding directors had the relationship with those oil suppliers. So it was a ready relationship there. And those miners have been in operations for many decades, so quite mature and, as you said, uh, low supply risk. Right, but so what happened to the last setup? You picked this up because they weren't bust, presumably? I mean, but what happened? Yeah, Queensland, Queensland Nickel Refinery shut down in 2016. It's a, a relatively old technology, high cost uh, producer, and it just wasn't economical in, in that climate. Right. But what, so what's going to be new with you? We use a completely different process, something that's called the direct nickel process. The direct nickel process dissolves virtually all of the ore, leaving a, a small amount of an inert residue, which can be used as an engineered landfill and it processes all of the nickel and cobalt, obviously into the battery grade materials, but it also the iron ends up as high purity hematite, the magnesium as a high purity magnesia. So we have a bunch of byproducts as well and very low residue. Right, but is this a, is this a new technology? Is this intellectual property, you know, reside with you? Uh, relatively new. It was developed uh, about 15 years ago, uh, got close to commercialization, but 15 years ago, um, the only market for nickel was really stainless steel. And so that process was competing with uh, low-cost nickel pig iron, which even today is still the cheapest way of getting nickel into stainless steel. But to get nickel into high-purity battery-grade materials, nickel pig iron doesn't cut it, nor does ferro-nickel or nickel mat. You can do it with a chemistry set, but it's expensive and it's really, really dirty. We go direct plug and play into the battery industry. So 15 years ago, that battery industry didn't exist. Now it does, so the time is right. Right, and is that because what you're going to get a you get you're going to get a higher price product for your for you know in terms of what you're selling into the EV sector versus obviously stainless steel where they can you know pick up some fairly dirty nickel and still make it work. Uh, that's correct. Um, you can go from nickel pig iron or mat or ferro nickel or even class one nickel into battery grade nickel and cobalt sulfate, but it's an additional processing step. So we bypass all of that. We go directly into the nickel and cobalt sulfate. So to get a bit technical, all those other processes go up the thermodynamic hill and then have to come back down again. We just cut straight across the valley. Um, so it's it's a perfect process for uh, battery grade materials. 
Right, but so are we saying it's a technology which is yet to be proven commercially or because it, it sounds a bit conceptual at the moment? Uh, so the process is yet to be fully commercialized, but the component steps in there, the leaching is totally conventional, the oil preparation is conventional, the nitric acid recycling is exactly what is used in the nitric acid industry. The nitric acid regeneration step, the company we're dealing with has built 77 of these plants, we will be the 78th. So the Lego blocks, uh, are, none of them are particularly novel. Putting it all together has some novelty, and yeah, there's always some risk with that, but it's it's not a science experiment, it's just assembly of commercial blocks. Okay, okay, so individually, the, the moving parts, all, all tried and tested, um, you're just putting it together in a different, different format um, for, for what you want to try and do. Okay, get, get it. Um, can I, we need to sort of talk about the, you know, what's the big idea, right? Obviously, I, I, we kind of get what you're trying to build and, and the market you're trying to feed into, and, um, but how, how do you do that? I mean, how do you fund the build or how, or is there not much more kind of capex required and this is just an opex exercise you're picking up on, you know, existing infrastructure. I mean, how, how stressful is this going to be in terms of capital requirements? No, absolutely no stress at all because uh, Duane will answer the question. <laughs> Hello, Duane. <coughs> look, the biggest, <laughs> um, look, the, the biggest challenge or one of the bigger challenges we face is funding the capital cost of the project. Uh, and that will be a traditional project finance for between 50 and 60% of the capital with equity, the remaining amount. Um, there is very strong support from the government-led debt agencies, both in Australia and with uh, our equipment supplier countries and our offtake countries, um, who are very keen to see the supply chain of um, critical minerals or battery minerals from tier one jurisdiction to other tier one jurisdictions. Uh, and that is something which will certainly assist in the overall funding of the project uh, and bring it through to completion over the next two to three years. Okay, so you, okay, you've got the feed, you've got the site, you've got an infrastructure in place, and you're talking about the kind of cap capital requirements to kind of get, get things moving. Before you can have meaningful conversations with, with the you know, capital providers, you're going to need to show a kind of route to market, a route to revenue, as it were. So who are the end buyers for whichever version of, of, of these products that you um, spit out? Uh, we're in an unusually positive situation. We have 100% of our production already tied up in binding offtake agreements with three absolutely tier one customers. So LG Energy Solution, world's second biggest battery producer, POSCO, one of Korea's biggest companies, and General Motors. And so between the three of those, they own a, they've invested in us, so they've got skin in the game. They're about 16% owners, and 100% of the offtake for our plant is tied up with them. In fact, General Motors have even requested and locked in 100% uh, of the offtake for a second plant, should we build that. that, that that's interesting. Are you, so they've got an option there, or is that? No, it's a bind, binding offtake, and they've invested 69 million US in us. No, no, sorry, I was referring to the second plant, should that come along? Yes. If the second okay. plant is built, they've, they've, they've got Got the option, yes. Okay, interesting, interesting. A lot, a lot of money. Been. We, I was talking to someone this morning about, um, I think Ford are allocating 500 million bucks towards their, um, their uh, securing their metals supply going forward. A lot of money with their OEMs for sure. Um, so, and, and what's the, what are the size of those contracts? Because it seems quite simple. The way you're laying it out seems quite simple um, in the sense that you've, you know you've got a buyer. Um, I, well, actually, tell us, about, tell us about some of the terms that that's been secured on. Is that at market or? 
or are they getting a discount? Yeah, it's uh, tied to LME and in the case of nickel sulfate to a nickel sulfate premium as well. Okay, so you know where you, you know where you're going to end up. So you just need to kind of put this thing together, um, a, a Lego build here. Um, so what's the time frame we're talking about? So we're uh, completing some engineering work leading to final investment decision in the second half of this year. Um, uh, start some early works construction later this year. First production uh, late 2025. Okay, so this simply comes down to the cost of capital then depending on where you get your money. You, you've, you've got NBAR, so you can you can use that with any any discussions about, from financiers. There's a security there, certainly with tier one balance sheets like they have. Um, so this is a cost of capital com, um, exercise for you. And then obviously, you know, F, FID, you've actually got to deliver the thing. So where are you? What type of money are you looking for? You mentioned a few sort of you know, subsidies and funds um, lo locally from local federal and federal government. So when, when does that decision actually happen? Yeah, well, um, we're in the the capital cost of the project is approximately two billion Australian dollars, as per our advanced feasibility study released last year. Um, in terms of the project finance, the negotiations are now underway with the banking syndicate and the likes of Export Finance Australia, uh, the North Australian Infrastructure Facility, and Export Development of Canada are three key um, government agencies who have given us support for the debt component. There will be other providers, both ECAs as well as commercial banks, uh, but they are three cornerstone investors for us. And on the equity, uh, I'll call it the equity plug, which is the difference between the two. There is very keen interest from a combination of institutional investors um, who can see the benefit in the um, EV chain and the benefit of the EV growth, but also our sustainability credentials, which Stephen will take you through, are critical in terms of the attraction from sustainable funds, from green funds um, around the world particularly, who are keen to invest in uh, assets which are reducing the planet's carbon footprint. Okay, so but but it's a, it's, it's a big ask, right? So for some from some people that might be, you know, br breathtaking and they think, well, okay, I want to, I want this company to kind of move forward in a few of these conversations where I kind of dive in here but one of the one of the kind of the security questions which the debt guys are going to be asking is okay apart from um local government maybe getting involved and helping with, with the debt element is tying down the supply the, the feed as, as it were so how tight is that the contractual side with the um you know with, with, the, with the provider of, the, of whatever's going into your plant so we have 100% of our ore uh, tied up in contracts already with uh, two of the largest miners. So SLN, who are majority owned by Eremet, and SMT, who have been operating in New Caledonia for about uh, 40 or 50 years. So that ore supply is tied up uh, in binding agreements with them. And there are huge resources. And importantly for New Caledonia, they are a big exporter of nickel laterite ore, but it's the saprolite, the bottom half of the ore body. They have to mine through the top half of the ore body to get to that. That top half of the ore body has the same, it's got the nickel equivalent grade, the same as the bottom half, but it's not easily processed. It can really only be processed currently in high pressure acid leach plants. They are highly problematic and have a big footprint. In French, excuse my lousy accent here, but it's called ore fatale, fatal ore. And we say so we can process the whole profile, but since 
you've got a problem with this top half, we'll take that. So a very secure supply. Okay, so the, 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 the HPL is expensive, but, but no more expensive than, you know, your 2 billion CapEx requirement. Um, it does have some issues around the, the, the green element uh, for, for, for sure. So you're saying what you can take, you can take both types or multiple types of, of ore and process it through your technology, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we use nitric acid leaching. Nitric acid is the most aggressive and best leaching agent you can use for acid leaching of ore. The only problem with it is people haven't used it because it's ex relatively expensive. But the direct nickel process recycles about 99% of that ore, so it makes the acid cost is not even in our top five costs. It's a, it's a minor cost for us. Right, interesting. Okay. And, and how important is this kind of green? Like every company's last couple of years is about ESG and net zero carbon and, you know, carbon capture and carbon credit. Yeah, it's, 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 it's become a sort of de facto language. And I was just reading a report before you came on, we're talking, well, actually, in terms of on, on, the, on the funds side of things, the, the, the fees for these, some of these funds is three times the, uh, the cost of regular funds because of the green element. So there's a, some positivity to it when it's been done properly and there's some negativity to it because it's just quite quite frankly people jumping on the bandwagon your credentials are going to be super super important because you, you're talking your whole presentation is about the, the ev thematic you're dealing with ba you know ba battery metal here and you're feeding into organizations oems who are going to be you know measured on it and, and and judged on it in terms of the products that they output so for you how do you deliver on your side of the that that um relationship uh, I'm so glad you asked this because most green claims are greenwash and, and green rubbish. Um, we have a life cycle analysis, an independently verified life cycle analysis compliant with the two ISO standards. Anyone who claims a, a, a greenhouse gas intensity and they don't have an ISO compliant LC analysis are probably lying or just uneducated. So we are substantially negative carbon and that's been verified by Minviro, the UK LCA company um, and the main one of the main reasons for that uh, Matthew is because we're using a waste gas that is currently being flared and vented and methane's uh, not very nice for global warming potential so that's green claim number one that's a green fact that's verified uh, secondly because we dissolve virtually everything and we co-precipitate some byproducts so the iron ends up as a high purity hematite a premium grade the magnesium ends up as a high purity magnesium. Uh, we sell them as byproducts, so they don't end up in a tailings residue. And by the way, if those two products had zero value, we'd still be producing them. It's actually inherent in the direct nickel process that they are byproducts. So if they had zero value, we'd still be producing them. Um, so we end up with a residue that's largely quartz sand, and we've already verified that that is suitable as a, an engineered landfill, a replacement for quarry sand, so that becomes another minor product. So we end up with zero solid waste. It's absolutely unheard. I've been in this game for decades to have a project that's negative carbon, zero solids waste, and we have zero process liquid discharge because we recycle everything. So it's absolutely unique. Um, 20 years ago, who cares? Today, particularly selling to North America and EU, that counts a lot, particularly in the EV game, where their only alternative is Chinese, Indonesian, high pressure acid leach nickel, where you've got uh, about four tonnes of tailings per uh, battery pack in your car. Right, so, so, which is amazing. 
you know, you can almost get a kind of cl closed loop system in, in well, loosely, you get a closed loop system there, which is, 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 is truly, and I mean, I'm, I'm surprised at that. I didn't, I hadn't picked that up when I sort of read, th read through the material. Um, so do you, you get to sell the product, um, into the kind of pre premium nickel, um, market, but do you get in terms of the cost of money thing, because it's a big deal. One, because it's a lot of money, but but two, the cost of money can sometimes you know overwhelm a company. So, with the Queensland government and perhaps federal government, do you get any other further credits or other further incentives for you because of that? I, I think the um, it's not so much a pricing element. Um, yes, there is an element of pricing improvement um, on any finance arrangements we put in place. But it's in terms of the appetite of the debt providers that is the key to funding this. But what so does Queensland government do? Are they underwriting? Would they underwrite the debts? I mean, how how involved are they? Because normally it's just like job creation. That's what we want, job creation. But is there more to it? Oh, yes. I, I think in terms of the, the provisions of debt, they will come from the federal government under the North Australian Infrastructure Facility and Export Finance Australia. So they are a federal government funding source. Uh, but the state government of Queensland is very supportive of the project and there is a whole range of areas that they are allowing us to um, facilitating the approvals. Um, the funding is one area of consideration with a whole host of other, um, uh, I won't say incentives, but considerations to ensure that the jobs creation, which you highlight, the economic activity in the northern part of Australia, which is a priority and a strategic imperative for the government, uh, both state and federal, can be achieved through the development of this project. Right, so you, have, you, you come up with a, quite an interesting novel business idea and very, um, and the green credibility is I, it's one of the best I've heard. Um, you've got to deliver this within this, uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of time frame are people looking to? Because it's been a short period of time, so like effectively two and a half years really. Um, when do we see revenue? Because you've got some choices around the funding component. You know how you're gonna build this thing out. Um, but ultimately, investors want a kind of growth story, don't they? You, you know, because if you look at the beginning of, so well, sort of end of last year, beginning of this year, there was a kind of drop off in in the share price um, reaction to. Well, why was that? Do you, have you got a sense of why that might have been? Oh, I think um, no one has questioned the fundamentals or financial returns of the project. So it's almost unilateral. It's an incredibly strong project from a return and financial perspective. But like all um, small cap companies developing large projects, the one thing they say is, how are you going to fund it? And I think there was the um, element of that when the advanced feasibility study came out, and that's still being digested at the moment. Um, and it's up to us to, um, over the next three to six months, is to show the path and the runway to funding from both a debt and equity perspective and give that confidence to our shareholders and new investors that the funding path is available for us. Right, okay. And it's not gonna be, look, if it's not gonna be the debt element that potentially scares people, given the kind of ecosystem that you've, you said, we've got 100% offtake over here and kind of you know, reduced, we've managed to kind of reduce the kind of capital component because of the asset that we picked up. It's gonna be the equity element. You know, you're whatever, you're 180 million bucks today, right? Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's a meaningful company, but people are going to say, well, okay, how much am I going to be diluted out of this? Do I just wait until that's in place and then I'll maybe come back and have another, another look at this thing? You'd say to them, what? Why, why now? Why invest now? Oh, I think 
it's pretty, uh, I think the most important and answer that question is, you know, the value that is in the stock at these prices reflect a significant risk discount, which will be um, eliminated or mitigated as we show the funding path through. So by all means, investors that are not shareholders can wait, um, but the raise that will be at the time of committing to the development of the project is likely to be at significantly higher prices. I think the key to note, uh, Matthew, is that there are a lot of large global funds which we have been in communication for an extended period of time. Um, uh, and it's not only the sustainability credentials Stephen's gone through, but uh, the returns of the project. Um, so there is a significant pool of, uh, of large institutional investment, which um, we're continuing our discussions with in order to underpin the equity component um, of the project. Right, and, and obviously, Given the studies that you, you, you've done and sort of cost, the cost studies that you, you've done on this one, you in Australia, like us in Europe, have seen energy prices, you know, rocket, especially gas prices. Um, for you, have you, and, and you're, you're in Queensland, right? So, do, you know, have you looked at any um, solutions in terms of being able to kind of mitigate some of those, you know, energy price um, fluctuations um which you know may affect your margins on on this project i mean are there kind of thing conversations going on in the background about how, how, how do we do that the, the, the main uh, our uh, yeah we are a very uh, high energy consumer and that's mostly for process heat process steam with a small amount for electricity um, that will be generated through the use of natural gas which is sourced from as a as a byproduct from the operating metallurgical coal mines in the Bowen basin um, we are formed a, a wholly owned subsidiary called QPM Energy, um, which has responsibility for the harvesting, processing and delivery of that gas to Lansdowne Road, which is where the project is. So we are, we are becoming vertically, vertically integrated on the energy front. Uh, that does two things. One provides, you know, certainly for us in terms of the cost structure of that gas, and secondly, uh, facilitates the development of getting that gas into Townsville within the time frame we need it for the tech project itself. The other thing I'll highlight is that the area where this gas is coming from is currently a stranded resource. It is not connected to the East Coast, particularly to the export market. So the only current mechanism for delivery of that gas is to Townsville, and we would be the largest consumer in Townsville by a significant margin. So those factors significantly reduce the volatility I would say they would eliminate the volatility in energy prices and allow us to really control what the cost structure will be. Right, and so the right, so the, the the infrastructure to deliver the gas to you is already there. It's just a question of price, not a question of relying on someone else to build infrastructure to feed that into you. It's already there. The the there's two elements to it. One is the pipeline from the Bowen Basin into Townsville that is in existence with the capacity three times what we require, and it's currently empty. We do need to build some harvesting and some compressing facilities alongside that pipeline, uh, but that is a very, very modest capital cost uh, and all the permitting approvals work are well advanced to achieve that within the tech project timeframe. Sorry, just to emphasize that, Matthew, this gas is currently being flared and vented at the moment, several times more than what we need. So it's, it's, already, it's already happening and what they lack is a customer. Uh, where the customer, and as Dwayne said, vertically integrated, we control that destiny. Another closed loop. Well done. 
Um, okay, <laughs> gentlemen, I, th I think that's really interesting to me. Um, but just give me a sense of like what's to come. What, what are the moments we're looking for this year from you? Uh, I'll start on the, the semi-technical engineering front. So we're continuing on some test work with our major equipment suppliers. We've got uh, uh, binding agreements with a number of equipment suppliers. Uh, we made that decision quite some time ago not to go out and, and tender. We've chosen the best. So we're still working through the engineering with them, uh, doing some value engineering. Um, Sorry, we've so... got sensor lights. I'll just keep <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait till the <laughs> gone <laughs> it's yeah energy saving mode yeah energy saving mode. there we go uh, i'll wait till Dwight comes back in so you have the the talking head back in <laughs> um yeah so we're working with a number of big big suppliers uh you know K, kbr george uh seaman technical experts for the debt uh syndicates i have started their uh process already yeah look i i think matthew 2023 will be a year for us of delivering the financing so there will be developments clearly on the technical side, which Stephen has, has been uh, highlighted. We'll have what we think are significant announcements on our energy supply chain uh, over the next three to six months, probably more three rather than six, which will um, really eliminate or mitigate uh, the delivery risk of our energy and our energy price, importantly. Um, but over the next several months, we'll have a series of steps which we can convince uh, the investors about the fundability of the project. That will be obviously primarily on the debt uh, and the banks and the agencies we're talking to and how those uh, indicative interests and the letters of interest we have from them and the quantum. And I think by mid-year or thereabouts, we'll certainly have the capital stack for the project well-defined and investors will see how this project can be funded and that will move to FID in the second half of this year. And Matthew, we've uh, I forgot to mention that we actually have 40 million cash in, in the bank of um, so we're, we're not a, out there uh, on the on the bones of our backside trying to find a way to, to do this work to get us there. Well, well that, that was the literally the next question, but because it, I think it's really important because the the, the process of working with with, with um, state and federal federal government it's it's an elongated timeline which is sort of in, in their control unless they really really want this thing to happen. So there's no kind of you're not in control of the timing on that one, but you've got the money. To be delivering these sort of technical um, element of, of the project with the, with the partners that you've, you've selected to advance the project or de-risk the project, um, for sure. So, okay, 40 million, 40 million bucks put you in, in the driving seat um, there. Well, look, um, Stephen, Dwayne, uh, we'd never met or spoken before with regards to this story, so I do appreciate um, you coming on. It's a really interesting one. It's a really interesting model, business model that you've you, you chosen, and um, we kind of will... Um, Keen to see uh, you delivering the strategy for um, you know delivering all the all the moving parts going forward this year. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Yes, thank you.